0: 20th from 9
1: a.m. to 1 a.m.
0: Pacific Time. We'll have lots of rare unreleased music, a live performance or two, interviews, and other fun stuff for 16 thrilling hours. If you're in the Berkeley area, you might want to come by and work the phones for a while. It's actually a lot of fun. The marathon will be webcast via gdradio.net and kpfa.org, so tell your friends all over the planet so they can be part of the fun, too. It's the KPFA Grateful Dead Marathon with Tim Lynch and me, David Gans, Saturday, February 20th from 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. Pacific Time. And it's all for the benefit of KPFA listener-sponsored radio.
2: And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned next for cover to cover open book.
3: To Poet Series. I'm your host, Nina Serrano. I'm very excited about today's guest, Judy Wells. Judy Wells has put out a new book called The Glass Ship. You may remember hearing her before on this program for her book, Little Lulu. Well, she keeps her humor with her in every book she writes. And in this book, you're going to see her spin out playful yet profound tales inspired by ancient irish island voyager myths although the characters you'll meet are not ordinarily associated with the northern seas palominos flamingos even Popeye and olive oil Their mischievous guidance and shape-shifting proclivities are seeped in the Celtic wisdom tradition that Wells inherited from her ancestors, updated and in a classic search for healing and reunion. Our own Jack Foley of KPFA's Cover to Cover has said of this book, every prose poem in Judy Wells' The Glass Ship is a note played on an Irish harp together they make up a music of childlike wonder and amazement a book of spells and now welcome
2: welcome judy wells thank you nina i just wanted to add that the female narrator of my updated celtic tales is a sailing captain and she's rather like a female odysseus in the ancient tales the sailing captain was usually a male or all the time a male with a name like St. Brendan or Malduin. So I decided I needed to have a female captain who is sailing in a small skin boat. Which the Irish call a Curra. So this is the first thing my sailing captain sees. The title is called The Glass Ship. I saw it far out on the horizon. A blinding light as it came closer i realized it was a magnificent sailing ship made completely of glass glass sails mast hull a dazzling spectacle in the sun at times the glass ship reflected rainbow lights like a crystal i had heard stories of this legendary ship though no one i knew had ever seen it but here it was bearing down on me in my small boat I looked up at the now looming ship and spotted a young man and woman on the deck dressed completely in white. They were dancing, whirling slowly, waltzing to be exact. I saw one face, then another, and was astonished to recognize my own parents. A longing arose in me, and I called out to them. They stopped and looked down at me curiously, my father with his slicked back hair, My mother with her black curly bob and did not seem to recognize their daughter. They resumed their positions, waltzing around the glass deck, a whirl of white transfixed only by each other. Gradually, I realized why they did not recognize me. I had not yet been born. Here were my parents, deeply in love, before they were married, before the four children began to come, before the toil of creating a home. The glass ship sailed off with my dancing parents. Its wake caused a slight rocking of my small skin boat before I was left alone on the still sea. You just heard Judy Wells reading from her new book, The Glass
3: Ship, which is published by Sugartown Publishing in Crockett, California.
2: The second poem I'll read is based on the old Irish idea that at some of these magical, mysterious islands one could visit in the West, there was an island of all women. So I have a couple of these all-women islands in my book. This one's called Back in the Pink. When I arrived on the island of pink flamingos, hundreds of birds turned their heads toward me as I stepped on their black sand beach. They parted as I walked through their midst toward a trail lined with palm trees. I was astonished to see a pink palace before me. In the shadow of a huge hibiscus tree, overgrown with enormous pink flowers, sat 17 young women. They wore glittery silver tops and long black skirts. They were barefoot, but their toenails were painted a glittery silver, as were their fingernails. Around each of their necks hung a perfectly shaped pink shell on a black cord. They looked so alike, I thought they might be sisters with their dark eyes and long flowing hair. Though their hair came in different shades, from jet black to auburn to a fiery red. They greeted me with shy smiles and one stepped forward. "'Welcome, mother,' she stated simply. The others now gathered around me, repeating those words.' ''But I am not your mother,'' I protested. The most bold of the sisters spoke, ''Oh, yes, you are.'' ''But how?'' I asked, ''I don't ever remember giving birth.'' ''You were queen here once,'' said the bold one, ''and you asked for a pink butterfly to be brought to you in a jar. You spoke to it, a poem of your own making, then released it in the garden. This butterfly transformed into me.'' We are all shapeshifters, but through your words, we became human. I was once your cat, said another young woman. I was your pet flamingo, said another, and on it went through the seventeen young women who claimed to be my daughters. I will never remember your names, I said. You do have names, don't you? Oh, we don't want you to stick around here, said the bold one. When you left us and metamorphosed into a sailing captain... We designed our own lives here on our island. We don't need a queen to boss us around, but we love you just the same. We have a special telescope we can look into which tracks your exploits on every sea. That's enough for us. My seventeen daughters bowed toward me, touching the pink shells on their chest, raised their heads and waved goodbye with their glittery hands. I blew each one a kiss and walked back down through the pink flamingos toward the sea. A flock of them flew over my boat like a winged sunset as I sailed away from my seventeen daughters.
3: Now I see why Jack Foley described this as a book of spells, as a note played on an Irish harp. Just beautiful.
2: Do you have any others? I do, Nina. I have one that I'd like to read. There's a lot about shape-shifting in the old Irish tales, as you saw in the previous one. And this is another one called The Island of Black and White Sheep. It's also about having to perform a difficult task. The Island of Black and White Sheep. One day, under a hot sun, I fell asleep and my boat drifted on its own, perhaps for several days. I awoke greatly refreshed and found my boat had come to rest on a black sand beach. An ancient couple greeted me as I climbed out of my boat. Their faces were like walnuts, brown and wrinkled. They peered at me through watery light blue eyes. We have been waiting for you, said the man, dressed completely in a white sheepskin. You are here to help us, intoned the woman, draped in a black sheepskin. I felt hypnotized by her words, and so I followed the ancient couple up a cliff, where we could look down on a large green pasture encircled by a stone wall. The simultaneous buying of several hundred sheep was deafening. I could see that the circular pasture was divided into two sections by an S-curved stone wall. In one section, all the sheep were black. In the other, all were white. Fixing me with her pale blue eyes, the old woman commanded, We want you to put one white sheep in the black flock and one black sheep in the white flock. If you accomplish this task... We will tell you the secret of immortality. I had begun to fear my island adventures might become dangerous, even life-threatening, so this proposition enticed me. The old man handed me a shepherd's staff, and I descended a rocky path to the pasture far below, knowing the ancient couple was watching my every move from above. The white sheep eyed me as I crawled over their rock fence. I looked for the smallest white woolly creature I could find, picked it up, lugged it over to the center wall, and deposited it on the other side amidst the black sheep. To my astonishment, the white sheep immediately turned gray, then inky black before my eyes. What the... I yelled at the black sheep. I decided to try the opposite task and leaped over the center wall. My frustration fed my adrenaline, and I seized the first black sheep I could lay my hands on. It was large and heavy, but I managed to heave it over the fence amidst the white grazers. Its black wool immediately faded and turned a pristine white. I looked up at the cliff and saw the two ancient specks laughing, cheering me on, and heard their faint cries. Try it again! Fool that I was and eager to learn the secret of immortality, I tried 17 times to heave those damn black and white sheep into their opposing flocks, but each time they turned color on me. White became black. Black became white. I could not accomplish the task set before me by the sly old couple. Exhausted, I tramped back down the river toward the black sand beach where my boat had landed. As I shoved my craft into the water, the black sand became glittery white, a blinding white sand beach. I see the number 17 emerging as some (laughs) magical symbol. People have said this. I think I might have picked that up from some Irish mythology and I liked it, the seventeen. I played with color when I was writing these, and there's a red island. There's an island where she has to cook blue things, and there's another island called the White Archipelago. The White Archipelago. I'm surrounded by a white archipelago. A hundred thousand white islands surrounded by a white sea The islands are constantly breaking up and on each one, invisible chalk white people are losing their relatives to other islands. You can hear their shrieks when lovers are separated and parents are separated from their small white children. Sometimes you hear a sigh of relief when a mom loses her difficult teen and the son cackles with glee. But he's soon calling from a distant island for a white bread sandwich with vegan mayonnaise. She's the only white mom among the hundred thousands who can make his sandwich just right. One day, the white islands may grow green trees, but for now, all is white. A pure white universe. I wanted to get back to the 17 daughters' As I wrote these poems, a plot started emerging, so you can read The Glass Ship as a mini-novel. And this one is called The Unexpected Letter. One day, as I was drifting on a turbulent sea, a pelican landed on my boat and opened its beak. Inside its pouch, I found a scrolled parchment inscribed with a message. With great curiosity, I read the following. Dear Mother... I am having one of my sisters write this message as my hands are indisposed at the moment. A week ago, a magnificent bird arrived on our island. It was elegant, huge, with golden eyes and dark pupils which could pierce your soul. And what is most strange, this bird could speak. He proclaimed his name was Sweeney and was here to marry me. He flapped his magnificent wings as he spoke, and I was so entranced, I agreed. This impulsive behavior was so unlike me, Mother, but I fell in love, imagining great-winged human children as our offspring. I was moved to stroke his head and cautiously kissed his beak, but, oh, Mother, this magnificent bird instantly began to shed his sleek brown feathers off face slid from his body until I saw standing before me a naked creature with a body much like mine except for a strange protuberance between his legs sensing my astonishment he said simply I am a man have you not seen one before I had to admit I had not My sixteen sisters and I have lived alone on this island for as long as I can remember. I felt a certain stirring in my body, not of entrancement, surely, but of excitement. I must admit, this smooth skin began to seem sweeter to me than that pile of feathers at his feet. He bent down and kissed me on the mouth, a luscious, sensual, prolonged kiss that enhanced that craving in my now tingling body. But, oh, mother, What happened next is unbelievable. That tingling was a sign of something else. I began to grow feathers, long pink and crimson feathers, which rapidly covered my entire body. And suddenly, there I stood on long, awkward legs and webbed feet with a delicate S for a neck and a hard, curved beak, unfit for that sensual kiss of two human lips I had just begun to enjoy." Sweeney looked at me in dismay and said flatly, I am not here to marry a pink flamingo. Oh, mother, can you break the pink flamingo spell? Can you write a poem that will turn me back into a woman? Please help your daughter, the bold one. Unfortunately, the pelican who delivered this message was long gone, and I had no idea where the island of pink flamingos was the island of my 17 daughters. I had been drifting for several months since I had visited there, and only by chance would I ever return to this lost island to help my daughter, the bold one. So you have to read the book to find out what happens there, Nina. It's interesting that it's a novel (laughs) disguised as a collection of poems. Yes, well, they're prose poems, actually, but maybe it's just without genre. You could call it a fairy tale, too. Well, let me share with
3: listeners what Jack Foley said, his complete statement, because now you're getting a sense of this book, The Glass Ship, by Judy Wells. He says, quote, Every prose poem in Judy Wells' The Glass Ship is a note played on an Irish harp. Together they make up music of childlike wonder and amazement, a book of spells. What surprises are in store for the voyaging ego as the Irish Alice Sinbad's her way through poetry land? If personal experience pops up now and again, it's only a prop for the tall, telling imagination. Dwarves, palominos, croissants. Something green as a shamrock. Green as the hills after rain green as the non-irish whitman's leaves of grass and your final
2: poem this final poem isn't as green as whitman's leaves of grass it's called the island of ash and it concerns islands that the irish called the isles of the blessed or the isles of the dead and as i wrote this series two of my good friends died so this particularly touched me as an isle of the blessed but also an isle of the dead the island of ash when I realized my own journey drifting to various islands might be as long as Odysseus's I was quite dismayed I was tied to my fate and did not know how to propel myself home when I was in this dark mood the island of ash appeared before me As I approached, what seemed to be a volcanic cinder cone jutting out of the ocean turned into a mountain of ash. To my amazement, I saw two of my former companions, Rose and Joe, sitting like yogis on the mountain. Both had recently crossed over to the other world, and I was happy to see them, even under such strange circumstances. Although they had not known each other at home, they were now engaged in a high-spirited conversation about Edith Wharton's house of mirth. They hailed me to come ashore and join their discussion. But when I stepped on the beach, I sank into ash up to my knees. I could not climb up to sit with them and wondered how they managed to stay afloat on this pile of ash. They looked disappointed for they had now moved on to discussing Emily Carr's painting, The Great Raven, and then Charlotte Gilman's story, The Yellow Wallpaper, and wanted a third opinion about the protagonist's sanity. We've only got a few more minutes to get this straightened out, Joe said as he beckoned to me. Once again, I tried another step, but I could not generate enough traction to begin the climb. Time's up for me, said Joe. He smiled at Rose, then at me. I watched in dismay as his lower body began crumbling into ash. First his feet, then calves, then thighs. As his chest began to crumble, he raised his right arm in the air and waved goodbye. Finally, only his head remained, covered with a battered straw hat. Say the magic words, he called out to me. I choked out the only words I could think of. Goodbye, Joe. He smiled as his head disintegrated, and a sudden gust of wind blew his hat up into the air and out to sea. Rose still sat on the surface of the mountain of ash. You meet the most interesting people here, she said, but they always tend to disappear. As she spoke, her body began to fade, as if a brilliant red rose gradually turned light pink, then invisible. I felt a great emptiness in my soul as my friends disappeared. Retreating to my boat, I lay down and drifted out to sea. A mysterious voice whispered in my left ear, then in my right ear, over and over. Go carry the living.
3: You've been listening to Judy Wells reading from her new book, The Glass Ship, published by Sugartown
2: Publishing in Crockett,
3: California.
2: How could people get your book at Sugartown Publishing, publishing sugartownpublishing.com. And there's a way you can order it there under the latest publications just out. The publisher of Sugartown is Janie Dresser, and she's a well-known publisher, poet, and teacher in the San Francisco Bay Area. Well, thank you so much, Judy Wells. It's been a pleasure to have you on Cover to Cover. Thanks, Nina. I enjoyed being here, as always.
3: Book Heart Songs. Collected poems by Nina Serrano, 1969 to 1980. Lucio Cabañas was a popular rebellious figure in the state of Guerrero, Mexico during the 1960s and 70s. To a Mexican guerrillero, one struggle, many fronts. Dedicated to Daniel Del Solar, who first brought us the news. Lucio Cabañas, I hear that green leaves hide you, growing close together to whisper your secret. You are guarded in that tightly knit community of plants. Do the birds serve guard duty, screaming and fluttering at any disturbance? Who brings you tortillas, rice, and beans? Do they risk the journey with swinging pails? Are pots and plates wrapped in cloth? Or like guns, are they carried under skirts? Can you hear in your heartbeat the rhythm of our typewriters, our mimeograph machines, our radio networks grinding out your name? Or does the roar of searching helicopters, tank and plane growl louder hear us compañero, when you fear to be so few, all America reads of you from north to south, holds its breath for you in hiding in chase in battle The news carried by boodle, by horseback, by flea, transistor, mimeograph, TV. We add the chant of our media army that knows no frontier. We slip through borders like slips of paper and airwaves. From one part of America to another, from Spanish to English to Maya to Quechua to French to Portuguese to Calo to Navajo and Eskimo, from tropics to snow, our temperate tongues united in one struggle. You are now the subject, the symbol, the metaphor of one teacher, warrior, of one struggle. Is also from Heart Songs, and it's called Fear. What if he's been shackled and locked down in the hole? What if she's found guilty and has to serve five years? What if one day we're tortured? What if? What if? Action overcomes fear. What can eat fear? Action overcomes fear. That was from my book, Heart Songs, Collected Poems of Nina Serrano, 1969 to 1980, available on my website, ninaserrano.com.
0: Is making a difference important to you? Is charitable giving one of your core values? Like many people, you'd like to know that the causes and organizations you care about today will continue to thrive in the future. In addition to supporting the work of KPFA through cash donations, consider making a planned gift. It's easy and provides tax benefits as well. Simply put, planned giving is the transfer of assets to a designated nonprofit organization during your lifetime or as part of an estate plan. You can gift KPFA in your will or trust with stocks, real estate, or any amount of money. In return, you'll receive a generous tax benefit. For more information on plan giving, consult your financial or estate planner and our website at kpfa.org. Thank you.